These are really hard acts to follow. I don't quite know what to say, but there are three things that have been, I think, given short shrift today. And for those of you who are trying to decide on a career, trying to decide what to do at university, I would like to make a plea that you give very serious consideration to them. These are selfishness, procrastination, and doubt. And I am a very strong supporter of all three in certain cases. <laughs> selfishness. When I was in the third grade, I knew that I wanted to be an archaeologist. I had gone through a phase where I was going to be a garbage collector, I was going to be a fireman, I was going to be a policeman, but basically, archaeology is what I wanted to do. And I went home one day and announced this to my parents. My father said, mm. My mother said, that's nice, dear. And my aunt said, what a stupid idea. <laughs> this was sort of the picture that developed over my entire elementary school, junior high, high school career. When I was a graduating senior, I decided I was going to go to college and pursue archaeology and specifically Egyptology. And I went home and I told my father and he said, mm. And I told my mother and she said, that's nice, dear. And I told my aunt and she said, how dare you squander your parents' hard-earned money on such a lousy dead end? How can you possibly do this? I said, it's easy. I like it. <laughs> I went to university. I studied archaeology, got a PhD. I'm happy as a clam. I can't think of anything I would rather do. Selfish? Sure. It's worked out. Procrastination? Well, this is something else for those of you who at the age of nine had not made a decision as to a career goal ought to give some very serious consideration to. <laughs> I've had the impression today that we are sort of expecting you as you walk out of the auditorium this afternoon to give us a piece of paper that you have signed promising that you're going to spend the rest of your life doing what you today think you want to do with the rest of your life. I hope that is not the impression that you leave with. Procrastination is a good idea for two reasons. Number one, when you get to university, you're going to be exposed to some ideas that you probably have never encountered before. And these could very well have a very dramatic impact on the way in which you view the world and your role in it. But it plays an important role, too, in this way. Rather than going into a university and starting out saying, I'm going to be a brain surgeon and I'm going to take nothing but courses that apply specifically to brain surgery, it's going to allow you to do some experimentation. Jump around, take a course in poetry, take a course in history, take a course in science, whatever. But get a good liberal arts education. There is nothing at university you can do that will be more rewarding, nothing in your later years that you will find more delightful than going back to those days when you took courses that right now probably seem utterly and totally irrelevant to what you're doing with the rest of your life. Skepticism, doubt. In 1822, a man named Giovanni Battista Belzoni, who was a circus weightlifter in Italy, went to Egypt to seek his fortune. The only thing he could find to do was to go to the Valley of the Kings and dig. He found a tomb, what was then one of the largest tombs ever found in the valley, the tomb of Seti I. And he wrote a book about it in which he said, this is it, we have now found the last tomb that the Valley of the Kings has to offer. About 70 years later, around the turn of the century, an American oil man, Theodore Davis, who had been bitten by the Egyptology bug, went to Egypt and said, I don't believe Belzoni. I think he's wrong. Davis began some exploration. He found yet another tomb, the only other tomb, along with Tutankhamun in the Valley of the Kings that had never been plundered, the parents of a very important pharaoh, Amenhotep III. He too wrote a book, and he too said, this is it. There is nothing left in the Valley of the Kings.
Howard Carter doubted that. In 1922, he discovered the tomb of Tutankhamun, wrote a three-volume work on his discovery. One of the last things he said in the book is, the Valley of the Kings is now exhausted. There is nothing left to find. As was said a few minutes ago, last February and again last November, we found what is not only the largest tomb in the Valley of the Kings, it probably is the largest tomb ever found in Egypt. Most tombs in the Valley of the Kings have between one and 12 rooms. We so far have 95 and still counting. I have no doubt that by the time we get back in September, we will hit 100 rooms. And I seriously believe that by the end of June of 1997, we well may double the number. Am I going to say this is it? There's nothing left to find in the Valley of the Kings? No, I'm not. I think there are other things. And I think a healthy dose of doubt and skepticism about what people might consider conventional wisdom is very worthwhile. Take your time in determining your career. Give some serious thoughts to it. Gather all the data you possibly can. Ask people, read books. Talk to your parents, your counselor, your friends, your neighbors, or whatever, but remember, in the final cut, the decision has to be yours. This is not something you do for your parents. They're gonna be dead and gone one of these days, and you don't wanna to have to spend the rest of your life saying, why did I do what they wanted and not what I wanted? A degree of selfishness here is important. Your eternal future happiness depends upon it. One final note, don't be afraid to aim too high. Don't be afraid to go out and look for the highest possible goals you can get. You may not attain them, but it is better to try from the outset to be Alexander the Great than to try at the outset to become nothing but Alexander the Average. Thank you very much. Quiet as a tomb in here. <laughs> yes. The first thoughts when we entered that tomb, I think, well, there are two, port two parts to this story. The tomb has been known for a long time. It's just that nobody ever excavated it. Nobody ever went inside. When we relocated the tomb and went inside the door, we discovered that a sewer line from the rest house in the Valley of the Kings had been built directly across the entrance of the tomb and for 50 years had been leaking. Now, when Howard Carter entered the tomb of Tutankhamun and they said, can you see anything? He said, yes, wonderful things. When we entered the tomb and were asked, can we see anything? Never mind. <laughs> the second part of the question. Last year, we were in the third chamber of the tomb and found another doorway which we broke through and went beyond into a corridor more than 100 feet long. My first reaction was simply, we were crawling on our belly, and as was said, it was hotter than all get out. 100% humidity, 100 degrees, fog glasses, flashlight that didn't work. All I could say was, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, over and over and over and over again. Our Egyptian workman began reciting a verse from the Koran. The graduate student with me said, my God, there's a PhD thesis here. But other than that, nobody really knew what to say. <clears throat> when we got outside, I turned to my wife and I said, I think our lives have changed forever. And indeed, this really is in many ways, in several ways, the discovery of a lifetime. I still can't get over it, particularly since it's an ongoing discovery. We've got 95 rooms at the moment. 
but there's every likelihood we're going to find a whole lot more. Yes. And I wondered what inspired you and what keeps on inspiring you to pursue archaeology? What, what fascinates you about it? Selfishness. It's one heck of a lot of fun. I enjoy it immensely. The same aunt who scolded me years and years ago when I got my PhD said, well, I hope you settle down and get a real job. I think I've got a real job now. I'm enjoying it immensely and doing, doing quite well with it. I'm not going to become a millionaire, but I can't think of anything I would rather be doing. I certainly have no plans ever to retire because to what would I retire? No, this is, archaeology is an exciting field. And virtually every day there is something new, something wonderful coming out of the, out of the ground. I can't imagine not waking up in the morning and wanting to rush out to the site and, and go for it. I've never had a boring day on the job yet. The uh, gentleman here, I think, had a question. Yeah, my name's Craig, I'm from Utah. Um, I was just wondering if your parents' attitudes ever changed about your line of work. My parents were actually very understanding about it. Uh, they never said no, don't do that. I panicked in my freshman year at university and thought I'll never make a living as an archeologist. And I actually went so far as to change my major to architecture. And I talked to the architecture advisor. I went to architecture classes for three days and decided I'd rather starve. <laughs> so I went back to archaeology. Was, was your aunt any better? My aunt? <laughs> Every once in a while, I hear this voice from heaven. She died about 10 years ago saying, get a job, get a job. No, I don't think she's ever changed or ever would. What do you? Yes. Um, what do you think of the? There's some people who believe that, there's some opponents of archaeology who believe that digging into these ancient tombs is somehow violating, you know, sort of, their opinion is that you, they, is that you should let these ancient people rest in peace. So what are your views on this? Well, in the case of Egypt, particularly in tombs in the Valley of the Kings, all of the tombs there, with the exception of Tutankhamun and one other, have been violated already. We're going into tombs that have been robbed probably dozens of times. In our case, robbed in antiquity, not in modern times, but still robbed. We are not violating the bodies of an ancient Egyptian. The other point to be made is that the ancient Egyptians themselves, I think, would welcome our efforts. The whole point of burial in ancient Egypt was to seek immortality. And that was gained not by being buried with vast quantities of gold and jewels, but by trying to ensure in one way or another that people in the future would continue to repeat your name. And there are prayers all over the walls and entrances of Egyptian tombs begging and pleading people to speak the name of the tomb owner. The only curse in ancient Egypt is a curse that says, and if he who passes by this tomb fails to utter my name, I will see to it that the gods wreak vengeance upon him. Now, I go through my life saying Ramses II, Ramses II, at least a hundred times a day. <laughs> And I know that when I get to the pearly gates, Ramses is going to be standing there with a wonderful cold bottle of beer saying, welcome friend. Thank you.